Hello, Kingdom family. I am going to go over our most recent meeting and cover the material that we were covering from that meeting. Um, that would have been, I think, the 27th of March on a Sunday evening. So here is our lesson five of Impact Bible Study. So as we open this meeting, we started out... Um, with the word repent and I looked that up because I wanted to find what the original meaning of the word repent was because I had heard someone say that repent wasn't just to turn away from your sin and so that kind of triggered me to go ahead and look and pursue and this is what I found in the strong concordance um the definition actually means to change one's mind or purpose. So repent is actually the changing of our mind about something. When we have an encounter with Christ, we, we repent and change our mind. Therefore, the result is we change and turn away from our sinful actions. Um, it can mean to say, I repent, I change my mind, I change the inner man, particularly with reference to accepting acceptance of the will of God. It also mentioned um, the roots of the word were to change, changed after being with and think differently after. And that could, I couldn't help but just hone in on the fact that when we have an absolute encounter with Christ, with Jesus, when we have that encounter, it changes the way we think. When we perceive how He forgives us of everything and it's hung on that cross and it cleanses us, it changes our mind. Why would we want to sin if we have a relationship with someone? We would not want to intentionally hurt them. So. To repent is to change our mind about it. And in changing our mind, our actions follow that change. So um, I opened up our lesson with Hebrews 10.36 in the New Living Translation. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. When the Word of God says we should renew our mind, that means we should be taking in His Word so that we're renewing the way we're thinking and we're not thinking in our old fleshly way anymore, but we start thinking in the way of God, how God thinks. And we, that's the whole reason that we're going over the books of Luke and Acts first is because we want to understand who Jesus was and why we believe He is who He is. We also want to understand how He was because that will change us. When we see how Jesus loved, when we see He's a reflection of God in the human flesh, it should change the way that we live and interact with other people. Um, so 
as I start into the book of Luke 5, I'm actually going to read specifically out of New King James Version to bring up a point. Now, if you're looking at this from other versions, just go ahead and know that it reads differently. And I do not have an explanation for that other than whomever um, read it may have perceived it to go ahead and be like, oh, they said this and meant this. I don't know. But for the point I want to bring up, I'm going to read it specifically out of the New King James Version. <clears throat> Four through five. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, and we know that later to be, he took on the identity and name, a new name, new identity as Peter. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, in this particular version or translation, it says, let down your nets for a catch. But his response was, I will let down the net. The reason I'm bringing this up in this particular version is because God always speaks to us with specific instructions. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel specific because he might say, go to Walmart and look for somebody in a red shirt. And I'll explain what I mean by that later, but that's specific. And if we don't do the specific if we if we look for somebody that's almost a red shirt or has red on their shirt that's not completing what he's specific about so i'll bring that up in a minute but sometimes if we don't listen we feel fail to get the full blessing that god intends for us jesus said nets simon peter obeyed but he only let down a net what God had for Simon was exceedingly and abundantly more than what he could think or imagine. And that is what the word says he wants for us, that that is what is for us. But what Simon Peter may have done, if he only let down one net, his actions set limitations to the blessing that he was about to receive. And it fell short of God's full plan because the full blessing may have been to just blow their minds that not one net, but two nets I will fill or multiple nets. But if he only let down one net as this particular version carries out, what was intended to be a blessing can feel overwhelming almost to feel like a heaviness of a burden. And um, that was not what God, when God blesses us, it shouldn't feel like a heavy burden. If we take on too much or we're not doing the specifics of what God says, we're outside of those specifics, it can feel heavy even to be doing what God has instructed us to do. And sometimes it can feel heavy because I think sometimes we get in and we hear one thing and we're not asking for the next thing. We're not seeking the next thing. And it can feel heavy um, being outrageously obedient to God if we're not outrageously obedient. Um, but here I just was bringing up his action set limitations to God's full plan. Um, God planned to fill all the nets. He said nets, drop your nets. 
whether it was a net or nets, it showed that they didn't have enough nets dropped because of what happens next. But I just want to bring up this point. How often do we limit God by our prayers, our plans, and by our actions? So in Luke 5, 7, I'm sorry, 5, 6 through 7 in, in the New King James Version still yet, it says when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Now, if he only dropped one net, it would be spe specific to note that the net was breaking. It was overwhelmed by the response. So, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. In this specific set of scriptures, there was an overabundance of what they thought or could have even asked for. If they didn't let down enough nets, it couldn't contain all the blessings of God. So it actually took a little bit more work to get the full blessing. Um, so that was just the point that I wanted to, to make there is be outrageously ob obedient. If he says drop your nets, better drop all of them. Um, but now we're going to go back to New Living Translation. And in Luke 5, 10 through 11, it says, His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, what stood out to me here is just that outrageous obedience. It is outrageous for me to think they left everything and followed Jesus. But I'd want to see what he was going to do too. Um, so maybe it's not quite so outrageous, but you know, we have houses and we have attachments to things and people. And, and it's even hard for me to think of moving to another state and taking a job or something and leaving what I've always known. But these men left in outrageous obedience to follow Jesus. There was something so significant about Jesus that their encounter changed what was important in their lives so that the other things were not important any longer. They, that is repentance to change the way we think, to follow then, follow Jesus. <clears throat> so in Luke 5, 12 through 13, it says, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus... He bowed his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, be healed. And his leprosy instantly, it said, his leprosy disappeared. Now, in those days, if you had leprosy, a leper was to stay six feet away from any clean people and that really just stands out to me with significance because in the year 2020, when COVID-19 um, stepped onto the scene, everything was stay six feet apart, stay six feet apart. And it made you feel like you were treating people like lepers. And I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with that because it was always assuming somebody besides you had something wrong with them. And that's kind of not the way Jesus trains us to think. So that was not a natural 
notion for me to just stay six feet away from people implying that there's something wrong with you. I can't get near you. Um, but here's even more significance. <laughs> if the wind were blowing up to a hundred feet away from a, from clean people, the leper had to make sure that they were a hundred feet away or not the people, the clean people weren't downwind of them. Here the leper said, if you will, but Jesus removed the doubt and he replied, I am willing. The man had faith Jesus could do it, but he didn't know if Jesus wanted to. But Jesus removed that doubt and said, I am willing. And guess what? When he said that, he was willing and it happened because the man had faith. I know you can do it, but do you want to? So when Jesus said, yes, I want to, the man had enough faith to receive healing. Now, I want to bring out one point here that I hope in the latter part to make more clear and as we move through the rest of this Bible study. But um, in this situation, the way we understand healing and sickness and and cleansing of sins was not the same way because Jesus was raised with those same Jewish traditions. He was a Jew and he was raised in that teaching, but he was able to have the discernment to draw out what was of man and what was of God. And um, so at this point, Jesus is still going to respond with things that were of that day and of that time and of that culture as a Jew in order to be healed. So, um, I'll come back to the point that I'm wanting to make, but let's go into the scripture. Luke 5, 14, New Living Translation. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you and take along the offering required in the law of Moses because they were still under that law at this point. For those who have been healed of leprosy, this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Um, now, I'm going to go into in Leviticus through New Living Translation, Leviticus 14, 1 through 11. It tells what that old law was for cleansing the leprosy and what it would look like. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, The following instructions are for seeking ceremonial purification from a skin disease. Those who have been healed must be brought to the priest who will examine them at a place outside the camp. If the priest finds that someone has been healed of a serious skin disease, he will perform a purification ceremony using two live birds that will ceremonially clean a stick of cedar some scarlet yarn and a hyssop branch the priest will order that one bird be slaughtered over a clay pot and filled with fresh water he will take the live bird the cedar stick the scarlet yarn and the hyssop branch and dip them into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. The priest will then sprinkle the blood of the dead bird seven times on the person being purified of the skin disease. When the priest has purified the person, he will release the live bird into the open field to fly away. The persons being purified must then wash 
their clothes, shave off all their hair and bathe themselves in water. Then they will be ceremonially clean and they may return to the camp. However, they must remain outside their tents for seven days. In the seventh day, they must again shave off all their hair of their heads, including the hair of their beard and eyebrows. They must also wash their clothes and bathe themselves in water. Then they will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, each person being purified must bring two male lambs one a, and a one-year-old female lamb, with all with no defects, along with a grain offering of six quarts of choice moistened choice flour moistened with olive oil and a cup of olive oil. Then the officiating priest will present that person for purification along with the offerings before the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. And what I wanted to say here is this is the old law. This was the old covenant and agreement with Moses. What is relevant about this is Jesus is still living within those laws at this time, but he came to fulfill the law. No more blood sacrifice, no more um, of this um, symbolic cleansing. Um, what the work that Jesus does on the cross is the last symbolic cleansing, the last blood sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice where he lays his life down for us. And it kind of, I noticed as I was reading that scripture, one bird dies and its blood is shed and sprinkled, but one bird is released. And I see that symbolically as Jesus died and gave that symbolic cleansing to us by his blood being shed so that we can be released from the strongholds of sin and the bondage of sickness. So also I want to remind you that as Jesus did away with this old law and he fulfilled the old law, um, the word healed, made well, made whole, forgiven, um, I think is even part of that. But it was the word sozo in Greek. That was the original translation was the word sozo. And Strong's Concordance in the Bible, the Greek word sozo is defined as to save, to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, do well, be or make whole. And if Jesus was that last symbolic blood sacrifice, that atoning sacrifice, he was that first bird that was put to death for the value of the blood being shed to purify. And then that allows us to be released as that second bird. But thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to go through all of this ritual any longer because it was fulfilled at the cross. He died. Even though he had not sinned, he died purely. He was the pure blood sacrifice. There were no impurities in him. He died and took our sins to the grave with him. But when he rose again, the veil was torn. We go directly with relationship now. Um, there's nothing separating us except sin. And when sin is removed 
and we come and encounter Jesus, that all that he is symbolically to us, then we are released like that, like that second bird. Um, so my question earlier, when we were talking about public testimony, what does your public testimony look like? Have you ever thought about what your testimony is? Cause it says that, um, there's power in the blood and in our testimony. And that is how we use, that is what we use to defeat our enemy. That is how we walk in victory is the power of the blood and the, and the word of our testimony. So what does your testimony look like? How would you tell other people your testimony? Have you had that encounter with God where it just changes the way you think about everything? Because if you haven't, that is, we've got to strive to get everyone to that encounter where God changes the way you feel about everything. He changes the way that you love because God is love. And through Jesus, that sacrifice was love because it allowed us to escape the punishment of sin and by death. So, Let's go on to Luke 5.16 in the New Living Translation. We spoke recently about the value of the wilderness. And I find it interesting that Jesus often withdrew there. And it says, But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. There is value in the wilderness. It takes away the distractions. It takes away... um, It allows us to come face to face with God to discern the voice of God and know Him and know His will and to build relationship. Setting time aside for Him because, you know, day-to-day distractions are going to come and just even trying to get this podcast recorded, I've had like five different restarts because I've had interruptions. Um, So getting into the wilderness for prayer, that would kind of be like your prayer closet symbolically now, just getting into that one-on-one time with God that you are just focused solely on Him. And I encourage you to do that. If you're not finding time to do that, shave off 15 minutes in the morning, shave off 15 minutes at night, but start getting purposeful. Um, Even in a way of fasting, I fasted. First fast I ever did, I fasted TV shows because I'd never done a fast before. And we were being challenged at church. And just in doing that, and I, I replaced that TV show with 30 minutes of Bible reading, And it was a huge impact in my spiritual walk. So I encourage you, get in that wilderness, get in that prayer closet, spend that one-on-one time with God because it is so valuable. So Luke 5, 17, New Living Translation. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as all from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Um, Right there, you know, they're looking at him. He's healing people. And they're seeing the fruit of that, but they're criticizing it because they're saying, well, how you're doing it. Um, it has to be done this way. It has to be done that way. It can only be done on a certain day. What you're doing is, is work. I mean, there was so much criticism that he is disarming the law. Um, and I think that's significant. 
I also wanted to bring up this. This is why your circle matters. In Mark 2, Jesus healed a paralyzed man because of his friend's faith. If you may not have enough faith, the importance of coming together and praying together and and spending time with like-minded people is your faith might not be enough to get you there. But as the faith accumulates, as you come together, your friends can carry you to a new level on their faith. And I want to be somebody that that my faith can help carry someone who may not have the faith developed enough in them to believe and know and understand. Um, so we're going to go on in to Luke five eighteen through 20. And this is the same story as I mentioned in Mark 2. Um, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and took off some of the tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the men, young men, your sins are forgiven. Um, Specifically, what stands out to me here is those guys knew they had enough faith. If we get you to Jesus, he is the answer. And isn't that what we are to do in discipleship? We can't change people's minds. We can't make decisions for them. We can't change if they're living in willful sin. We can't change that, but we can get them to Jesus. And that's why our circle matters so much. We need people that will carry us to the feet of Jesus when we are struggling, when we can't get there ourselves because we're not seeing hope. We need friends and people that will carry us to the feet of Jesus so that we can be made whole through him whole in spirit um, whole in body of your soul and in your fleshly body um, so Luke 5 21 through 25 but the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves who does he think he is that's blasphemy only God can for- forgive sins now listen to this Jesus knew what they were thinking Did they have to say it out loud? No. So he asked them, Why do you question in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, The man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Um, A couple of things stand out to me here. It had to blow their mind, these Pharisees and religious teachers, that he knew what they were thinking first and foremost. He responded to their thoughts. Who is this guy? How is he able to do these things? So they start trying to figure him out instead of just recognizing who he was. So then it was about your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk. Could the sins he's mentioned being forgiven that the man didn't have enough faith himself? Maybe that was the whole 
factor of why it could be sins or why it was instruction of stand up and walk. But Jesus said, stand up and walk. At that point, the man had to repent of not having the faith to do it by changing what he believed. He had to believe then. And when he believed and he stood up, took his mat and walked, he followed in outrageous obedience to what God was saying. And therefore, he acted out faith. He brought faith to the situation and he was restored and made whole. So we have to have faith and outrageous obedience. Sometimes we have to have outrageous obedience probably even before we have the faith because we have to follow God. Um, So I was bringing up first, he was responding to their thoughts. They were concerned about the law, more concerned about the law than the opportunity of the healing. Shouldn't we want the healing for people? Do we have to beat people over the head with the law of things? Or can we not just come to the common desire as a disciple? We want people to be released from their captivity. Stand up, pick up your mat and go. It says he jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home. That is outrageous obedience, and that worked for him. It changed the way he thought about his condition. He thought, he believed he was healed. He had an encounter with Jesus, and it changed the way he thought, and it changed his response to what he had once thought. He put action to his faith, and had he continued to lay there, would we have had the same outcome? What if he had laid there and said, well, Jesus, I just don't feel like my legs are ready. Um, That's not what he did. He changed the way he thought about it. He then believed, I am healed because Jesus said, it is my will. Get up and walk. Go. Um, So to me, just outrageous obedience is still just pounding into my head. Luke 5, 26, New Living Translation. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. That is our encounter. I want to see these encounters. I want you to see these encounters. If we aren't walking in outrageous obedience and purposefully getting into the atmosphere of faith, accumulated faith we are limiting God of what he can do in our lives and we are putting God in a box and saying this is all you have to work with you can only do this because this is all my faith will agree with but um, getting ourselves in that purposeful atmosphere of faith that is coming together with the ecclesia our kingdom family We're coming together with brothers and sisters because we've been grafted into the family. We have been adopted by God our Father. And when we have encounter and we know that we are now royalty because we're now adopted into the family of God, it should change. That encounter should change the way we walk around, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we act. Our response should be different 
when we change the way we think, when we repent, it changes everything. So let's talk more about outrageous obedience. Luke 5, 27 through 28 in the New Living Translation. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi, also known as Matthew, standing at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Is it possible Levi saw the things that he was doing in that town? Did he have encounter or was this just the encounter that Jesus encountered him and walked up and said, be my disciple and follow me? Um, I don't know. But what stands out is he saw this man. He had encounter. And the man said, follow me. And in outrageous obedience, he did. But he was given a new identity. Who he was, Levi, he ends up getting a new identity as Matthew. And what I wanted to bring up about this is Matthew was formerly a tax collector. He was not well liked by the Jews. But as he became a follower of Christ, he came and rose up in new identity as Matthew. You are not defined by your past. You're not defined by your job. You're not defined by your name. You're not defined by your financials. He gives you new identity in him when you have encounter with him. So in Luke 5, 30 through 32 in the New Living Translation, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus, again, reading their thoughts and, and minds and their hearts, he knows the hearts, the intents of the heart. He said to them, healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. They need to change the way they think. Here's the thing. I used to be one of those religious Pharisee type, um, Sadducee type people that was like, I'm good. I'm good enough. I do good. And I would compare what I did to other people. I don't do what they do. So I'm good. I'm, you know, and it was some way in a way it made you feel like you were better. And, and that's wrong because he's saying healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I was sick. I did not have a right understanding that who I was was still not good enough. I was still a sinner. Even though I was living pretty good and walking a straight line, I was still a sinner and I still needed to repent, even of pride. So um, that's very important to me because I had to change the way I think. I had an encounter with Jesus that made me realize that I was wrong in my thinking. And as I changed the way I think, that encounter changed everything so that I could renew my mind in the Word and in relationship with God. But it breaks my heart because people that think they are righteous think they are safe. And I was that person, and that's why I can talk about that. And not, I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying it's wrong in thinking you're good. It's wrong in comparing yourself to someone else um, 
and thinking you're good and you're better. We're all, it says in his word, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But through Christ Jesus, through that encounter, we're changed and we see things with a new perspective and a new perception. It is written that we are um, all sinners falling short of the glory of God. These righteous elite were called to serve those who they were calling scum. But they failed to do so because they valued themselves and esteemed themselves greater than the people that they were supposed to serve. And that's where we get into trouble. God is no respecter of persons. And Jesus came to serve any and all, all who needed it. And we are all, we all fall into that category. We all needed salvation. We all needed release from the punishment of sin being death. In Luke 5, through 35 in the New Living Translation, one day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Jesus always kind of talks in parables and he doesn't ever directly come out and answer you. He answers you in such a way that it provokes thought, deep thought. It also answers in a way that if people don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, if they are not hungry for the truth, they miss it. They miss the whole point. So what does this statement mean to you? I mean, we know that the church is considered the bride. Jesus is considered the groom. There will be a marrying going on, a wedding celebration. Um, Jesus brings the groom into the situation. We are the church as his people. We are to connect with him as a bride, but he's going to go away for a while. And it is necessary that he goes away for the Holy Spirit. His spirit will come to us. But um, he's foretelling of his departure. They didn't even know he was going to be leaving yet. But he's saying, we're celebrating while I'm here. While I'm here because I am the answer. I am the groom. Um and I'm coming back for a spotless bride. So Luke 5, 37 to 39 says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. No one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they'll say. Now, doesn't that remind you of complacency of people? They don't want the new because the old is just good enough and they're satisfied there. But if you try to take new, what God is doing new and put it into the old flesh of you, it's not going to work. It's going to blow out that old wineskin. So here is the process and everything is symbolic in the word. Here's the process of redoing the new wineskin. Once the um, 
Once the wine of the last season has been poured out, we enter in a season of transition. We are entering the process of renewal. And isn't that spiritually where we are? We have an encounter with God. The old wine is gone, but we have to go through that renewing process to get ourselves ready for the new that God is bringing. And the first thing to do in a transition is to accept that God is wanting to bring change. Choosing to let go of the old is the first step. Once a wineskin has been emptied into the old wine, it becomes dry, hard, and brittle. (laughs) That describes a lot of people I I have encountered that they just don't have the new wine yet. They don't have, they've not gotten rid of the old and prepared themselves to be a temple for the new wine. Um, The wine skin needs to be submerged in water for a period of time. Think about that in the fact that we are called to be baptized in water. Um, The wine skin has to be submerged in water for a period of time. It kills off the old symbolically. Then it has to be oiled, poured in, or has to have oil poured into it, and the oil is massaged into the leather to renew it and to make it pliable again. I believe God follows a similar process when renewing our wineskin. Doesn't He take that oil and that anointing of Holy Spirit when we are baptized and encounter Him? He, he anoints us with Holy Spirit. And when he does, there's an oil anointing over us and it softens us and it makes us pliable. It makes us renewed. And I just believe that that is what God's doing. So when we are submerged in the water of the word, we need to really soak ourselves afresh in the word of God. This includes studying our scripture on a new level and also being with the word that is Jesus this is a very important part of the process and too often we miss or confuse this step instead of simply immersing ourselves in Jesus the word we want to work out what is happening try and figure out the future and what God is doing this is not the aim of this part of the process the aim is to get fresh revelation of Jesus in your spirit that would be that wilderness time that in the closet time to get fresh revelation hearing the word and not just the word of god by reading his word yes that is valuable and important but hearing that rhema word the word that he speaks to you and says i love you you are my daughter you are my son um The aim is to load up your spirit with fresh word and deeper intimacy. Then, in due time, God will begin to pour oil over you. A fresh anointing will be released over you. A new awareness of His presence. Fresh revelation and understanding of what He is doing in and through you. He has been renewing your wineskin. He is looking for vessels in which He can pour new wine. No matter where you are in the process, The sooner you can begin cooperating with Him, partnering with Holy Spirit, and you choose by faith to embrace this process, the sooner He can release the new wine into the earth. He's releasing it 
into us as vessels and we're overflowing it. So um, that last paragraph um, or two is a combination of my thoughts and some something that I thought it was just too well written to even try and change it. Um, so it is actually a quote from restoringthewells.org. Um, and I do have that linked in the message notes. I just think that right now, as we are coming out of this wilderness season, we need to realize that now is our time for intimacy. Now is our time that we might feel like we're in a place that is desolate and doesn't have a lot going on. Maybe we're not in a relationship and we would like to be. But in this wilderness place, in this desolate place where it feels dry, if we start working ourselves and preparing ourselves, when the blessings of the future come, it will not overwhelm us. It will not burst out our wineskin. It won't be feeling like a burden when the blessings arrive if we just walk in outrageous obedience. So right now, I challenge you, get into that prayer closet. Get into relationship with God. Hear His Word by reading it and praying and receiving the rhema word, listening, sitting in a place, listening for Him in the quiet and the peace and worshiping. Um, these things are so important in this season so that when the next season comes, you don't feel like you're about to burst. And, and I'll give you an explanation to that. Um, there was a season in my life that I was running totally after God and um, I, I was working in children's ministry and honestly, it was amazing, but I didn't have everything in order. I was trying to put that, the the children's ministry in order, but I didn't have my home in order. And as I got out of balance in that, when the blessings started coming and things started showing up and people started showing up and I'm trying to keep everything running, I was in a place of overwhelm because my home was suffering. So we have to be able to learn a good place of balance in this wilderness so that when the blessings of God comes, when revival hits to where God is sending us to do missions, we are not overwhelmed by the blessing that's coming, we're prepared for it. We can walk in it in outrageous obedience. So let me just pray right now over those of you that are listening. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you and I praise you that that veil is torn and we are able to come directly to you as a friend and as a father and as a just judge. I thank you and I praise you that you care for us and that you love us and that as we spend time with you, you reveal yourself to us. I ask for each one of these people to have a hunger and a thirst for the new wine, not in an alcoholic way, not in a harmful way, but the new of you, the new of finding and encountering you. And I just ask that you will just develop that hunger and thirst in them, Holy Spirit. I ask that their eyes be open to see and their ears be open to hear, that they start searching for the truth. 
And Lord, if there be any deception in anything that I've shared, may it be revealed. May it be tested, tried and true with your word. Let it not be taken to the bank. Let it not be a place of argument or disagreement, but let it bring us to a place of unity so that we're all searching and hunger for you. I thank you and praise you. I ask for your blessings to be upon each person listening. I ask for a special anointing over them, a fresh anointing, a fresh stirring in their spirit to get after you and be outrageously obedient. And I pray boldness over them that they will rise up in understanding as they renew their minds to have boldness to run after you in that outrageous obedience. I thank you and I praise you for what you're doing. I thank you and praise you that you are encountering us. And if they have not had an encounter with you, I ask now that an encounter be made and created in their path that they will be precisely aligned in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.